When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, if you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10. That's podcast10 to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. And now to the top analysis of today's markets. How aggressive does the Fed need to get? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. With me today is Dr. Shri Kumar, president of Shri Kumar Global. Hi, Shri. Hello, Maggie. Good to be back with you. It's great to have you here. And Sri is joining us for the extended Friday Daily Briefing. Remember, it's that time of the week. If you want to be part of the conversation past the half hour point, uh, make sure you scan the QR code and hit the link to become a member. So, Sri, quite a week to wrap up. We had a steady drumbeat, a lot of economic data, a lot of Fed officials talking. And the data really su- seemed to surprise on the upside. When, when we put it all together, what did we learn about the U.S. economy? What you learned, and you said it very well, Maggie, you had a set of statistics, and it is a case of parsing the statistics to see whether it's good or bad. But let's summarize it very quickly. On the good side, retail sales increased much more than anticipated, which suggests that the consumer has been very strong. He or she is buying still, uh, despite all the rate increases. And that is a good thing from a consumer point of view. On the negative side, we had two inflation numbers on the consumer price index and then yesterday on the producer price index. And both of them, while coming down, they were higher than anticipated and suggest that the Fed has a lot more work to do. So when you put it all together, the question is, does the strong economy, strong employment and sales mean that the Fed has to keep increasing sharply and for a much longer period of time? And does it eventually have to crash the economy to bring the inflation rate down? So those are all the puzzling questions we have to deal with today, Maggie. Yeah, and that is certainly, you can see the market really through the week, but we we saw it again today, really starting to run those calculations. You did see bond yields moving up. But but what do you say? I mean, we've had people on, frankly, all week, and we've kind of been hearing two sides of the coin, uh, especially when they're trying to figure out the lag of effect of Fed policy. What do you think they need to do, uh, Shree? Let's ask the question we started with. Do they need to be more aggressive? Let me give you an idea of how, how much more aggressive I think they should be. In September last year, remember when we were going through these 75 basis point increases and we had four of them. I said at one point, they need to increase by 1.25 percentage points at one go. The market did not expect it. Nobody wanted it. But if Powell and his colleagues were to increase by one and a quarter percent in a single move, they would leave no doubt as to how much they care about bringing down inflation. And there would not be a talk about a Powell put 
everybody would say this Fed is very serious. We better follow them and believe the inflation is going to come down. That, of course, did not happen. In the December meeting, they slowed the rate increases from 75 to 50. On February 1st, it was slowed further to 25 basis points. And that leaves open the talk about when it's all going to come to an end. The markets were talking about a pause. Market was talking about a decline in the interest rate later in the year. And then we get these two inflation numbers and people say, oops, we are surprised. How did that happen? It all happened because the Fed, which was asleep at the switch during a good part of 2021, saying that the inflation was transitory, kept increasing the balance sheet and keeping interest rates at near zero, still has not learned its lesson. So I'm coming to answer your question, Maggie, as my last point. I think February 1st, if not earlier, uh, I'm sorry, uh, uh, at the next meeting, March 21st, 22nd, if not earlier, they should hike rates up by 75 basis points, not just the 25 and 50 that is being talked about today. That would be a shocker, and that's what a Powell has to do, in a sense, the compensation for having misjudged inflation again. Wow. Okay. So that you're definitely on the aggressive side of things. And when you say, if not earlier, I mean, would the Federal Reserve at this point ever do an inter? I mean, we haven't seen that in so long. Would they ever do an intermeeting policy move? And if they did, wouldn't everyone freak out because they would be worried the Fed saw some sort of massive financial crisis unfolding? Yes, and yes to your questions about has the Fed ever done it? And secondly, uh, what would the implication be? Uh, the Fed last did that on the side of easing during COVID. They they have made inter uh, inter uh, meeting announcements in order to explain the urgency of the situation and the easing that they were going to do. This Fed in particular is a very dovish Fed, in my opinion. It is less likely to do that between two meetings if they are tightening it. But mm -hmm. that's why I think they should do it. Because if Powell, of all people, were to make an announcement next week or two weeks from now rather than wait for the next meeting, and if the increase were much higher than anywhere in, there is in the market, that would give a shocker. And you said, uh, you asked the question, would the market freak out? The answer is yes, it will. That's what we want the market to do. We want the market to freak out that this Fed is serious about inflation. And despite the fact that the Fed started tightening in March of 2022, that is still not clear. It doesn't uh, has not earned its credibility back. And the question is, how does it earn it back during the weeks and months to come? Okay, so you definitely got everyone's attention in the chat. <laughs> We're having they're having a, a robust reaction to that. Uh, with somebody saying, um, I think it's Michael saying the villagers would have torches and pitchforks um, at the building. But I guess the question is, I'm going to rephrase it. Um, yes, the markets would freak out, but the, the and maybe the Fed would be okay with that. Maybe Hawks would be okay with that. They've been obviously trying to tighten financial conditions without killing the economy, though. So. If the markets freak out, it's one thing. Would that sudden movement and the market reaction that followed be too much for the U.S. economy to handle? 
Uh, it's a very fair question. It's a valid question, but it is a bit too late to be asking that question on the part of the Fed. When they increased the balance sheet so substantially, even between 2020 and 2022, when they doubled it, and all through 2021, when Jerome Powell maintained that the transition, that inflation was transitory and kept the interest rates at close to zero, that was the time to be asking the questions about how much to increase the interest rate, how can we do it without crashing the economy. But right now, with inflationary expectations being well entrenched, it is a bit too late to be asking the question. They may well crash the economy, but I don't see any alternative for them to do it unless they want to just say, right now, inflation has come down a bit. That's it, uh, guys. Uh, goodbye. We have we declare victory and we are going to stop here. That's the other alternative. Mm. So this this raises we're we're going to follow through this scenario for a moment. Um, if if they were to be more aggressive, what do you think would be the reaction? I mean, we're having lots of people say, you know, wow, if you try to game that out, definitely everything limit down. I mean, you know, but what? What's the outlook for bonds, even if they're not as as aggressive as you as you say? I mean, we saw the ten year move, ten year Treasury move closer to four percent today. But where should the bond market be pricing the inflation risk we're seeing and the potential that even if the Fed's not aggressive as you suggest they should be, a more aggressive Fed or higher for longer? What should be the appropriate pricing for a, a ten year Treasury? Uh, I love 10-year treasuries. I love two-year treasuries. Both of them, I, I think, are very well placed today with the yields that they are offering. Now, having said that, if the Fed really takes a hawkish position, even if not as hawkish as I suggested, uh, what's going to happen to the 10-year? From about 380 or 383, let's say it goes to 4.1%. So if you bought it at 383 and it goes to 4.1%, 4.2%, you have lost some money. But I'm going to assume you're going to hold on to it for the next couple of years. That 3.83 is going to be a very good return for you in terms of both the current yield and the capital gain that you will eventually get. So as long as you are not looking at the market morning and afternoon in the bond market, you should be doing quite well in terms of where it is. Now, what will a hawkish Fed do to bond yields? Is it going to cause the bond yields to surge? Initially, yes, 20, 30, 40 basis points up perhaps in a matter of two or three days. Later on, the market realizes that this move is going to cause a recession of some kind, mm. going to destroy demand and going to bring inflation down. And that is going to be very good for bonds. And if you do that, that's why I said even if the yield goes up temporarily over the next two years, you should be doing fine. Very interesting. So ultimately, we'll see that front end come down because the exactly. Fed will. Yeah. Hey, everyone. We're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. 
Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. So, you know, to your point on inflation, uh, by the way, and I think it's, I love getting anecdotal information. Um, so thank you, Dan, for putting this in there. But I think sort of underscoring what you're talking about, Sri, Dan said, uh, as a small businessman, I can tell you inflation is only going up, not down. Diesel 550, steel and lumber are still going up. Wages are going up. And you can't cut someone's wages at three months after you give them a, a raise or hire them. This is the sticky nature of wage inflation that everyone's worried about. So in this, are you surprised that future inflation expectations have been as well behaved as they are? Because when you look at them, people feel confident, or they have at least to this point, this may be changing, that the Fed is going to get inflation under control. Uh, first of all, Dan makes some excellent points, and I go with them in terms of how much ingrained inflation is because of the fact that you cannot cut wages back. On the other hand, look at the Fed situation. I don't think the markets are saying that the Fed will successfully bring inflation down that's not the reason why I think equities have been rising. Equities have been rising because the Fed lacks credibility with its anti-inflation program. So if I were to buy equities, even as interest rates were increasing, I believe that the Fed, once everything goes haywire, is going to essentially uh, bring interest rates down in a hurry. They're going to help me out because eventually the Fed time and time again helps equity holders much more mm. than stick with its fight on inflation. That's the reason why the risk assets have been having a rally, not because they have uh, confidence in the Fed's ability, but precisely the opposite reason, because the Fed does not have the credibility of the market. And they're just looking for the Fed put still. Exactly. They're looking for the Powell put. They're looking for the Fed put. And as long as it exists, and if they think there is going to be a credit event of some kind, another Lehman Brothers, another long-term capital management, anything like that happens, Maggie, inflation fight is just thrown out, and the Fed is going to start quantitative easing, and the inflation is going to go up, and the situation is going to become very different. That's what the market is banking on. Is that, is, is that something they should be banking on? Do you see that as a possibility? I worry very much about a credit event, yes. Mm. And the reason is that so far, the quantitative tightening has not gone on with any seriousness. They are just not putting back maturing mortgage-backed securities and treasuries into the market. Let's assume they become serious, and let's assume they continue interest rate increases. At some point, some large institution is going to have a problem. And it happens time and time again in different countries. We saw that happen in the United Kingdom uh, last, uh, last year when they had a sudden increase in interest rates. The bond yield shot up. The pension funds essentially were going to lose a lot of money. Mm. And from one day to the next, the Bank of England switched over from quantitative tightening to quantitative easing, just like that. What happened to your inflation fight? No, no, that's forgotten because we have to save the pension funds. So yes, I do worry about that. And that is again, if that were to happen, become very bullish on equities. Then equities start running up 
because Fred becomes your friend, the power put that you anticipated is in the process of happening. Mm. So let's talk about, I, I want to circle back to those points, but let's talk about QT for a second since you brought it up. And we, so many people have really kind of been solely focused on Will they start to reduce the amount of interest rate hikes? How long are they going for? Do they pause? It's really been focused around that interest rate policy. Do you see them making any changes to QT? Should they be thinking about using some of those other policy levers as they try to get inflation under control? The QT policy that they have set up is actually very flexible. By using the word flexible, I mean the Fed can essentially do what it wants. If you look at the language when it was originally published, Maggie, the amount of QT is $95 billion per month as a ceiling. There is no minimum. The minimum, I guess, is zero. So if they decide not to do any QT in a single month, that would not be considered a change of policy because it is between zero and 95. So uh, if they are serious about quantitative tightening, they ought to say that this will be done for a minimum, pick a number, 60 or $70 billion per month, a maximum of $95 billion, but we will stay within that range. But that's not what the Fed has done. So when we look at the stock market action today, we we saw, you know, we saw the markets all over the place. They were down earlier. But in the at the end, it was mixed. They're off their lows for the S&P and NASDAQ. We saw the Dow up. The Russell traded up about a quarter of a percent. What do you think is going on with equities? I know you mentioned that they're kind of, you know, anticipating that the Fed is not going to be as aggressive as you would like to see them be, that they're going to, in the end, kind of come to the rescue of the stock market. Do you think investors are overly complacent? What is the risk here? The investors are being complacent in anticipating that the Fed will bail them out. That's true. However, they may not be wrong if they have a long-term view anticipating as well some kind of a systemic breakdown, a failure of an institution which makes the Fed come, come back up to support them. What do I mean by that? Let's assume you're an equity investor and you have a 12 to 18-month horizon. You may lose money in the next three to six months if there is a recession, if there is a severity of recession, corporate earnings drop, and you suffer. But we started out by assuming you have an 18-month horizon. The Fed then steps in, increases the liquidity, pushes up equity prices, and if you compare today with 18 months from now, you may be doing fine. And that, I think, is the critical point to have in terms of realizing why equities are following and they are behaving the way they are doing, they are not wrong because of, unless you have a Fed which is very disciplined and you do not think the Fed is going to switch just because the stock market has gone down, if they, in that case, uh, you're probably quite okay in terms of expecting a Powell put and depending on it to invest in equities. So it's interesting because everyone's been looking at the price action in equities and saying, you know, is the low in? Is this the beginning of a new bull market? And it sounds like you're saying, well, maybe, but for all the wrong reasons. Exactly. And the real start of a bull market 
requires one more tumble, whether it happens because of a recession, whether it happens due to a credit event, that has to happen before you reach a low point for equities. So definitely, it doesn't sound like, so it sounds like you see more downside. Even though they're rallying on this Fed put, you see more downside for equities. What do you make of the of the idea that the recession has already been priced in? Like, we hear that all the time. Yes, you know, the Fed is going to have to, if they're going to get inflation under control, they're going to have to do more. They're likely going to cause a recession. That's what the bond yield curve is telling you. Equities know that but they've already priced it in. I don't think the equities are priced in a recession. Uh, if and when the recession does occur, I anticipate that the equities will come through a hit. We haven't seen a significant decline uh, in corporate profits. We still see the unemployment rate at the la- same level as in 1969 at 3.4%. Retail sales, as we discussed earlier, Maggie, went up sharply in the month of January. None of these says to me that the recession is priced in by the market. And that's why this is a very interesting market. And even though uh, you have the unemployment rate be very low, I saw in 2006-2007, ahead of the uh, financial crisis, that from a low-level unemployment rate shot up just as the recession was say, about to set in. Mm. And that's what is people need to watch. The low unemployment rate doesn't tell you that there is no recession or you're priced it in. It means that it can turn on a dime and the unemployment rate can start to go up again. So... Uh, I want to ask you about cash right now. There sounds like you're talking about a lot of risk on the horizon. RPM is saying, what about cash? Is that is that the only place to sit while these risks unfold, if it does look like we are not going to be able to avoid a credit or liquidity event? I uh, That's a good question and a timely one. I'm a person who's critical of the 60-40 portfolio allocation which in turn would require 60 in equities, 40 in bonds. Maybe you just play around uh, change, moving from one to the other. And of course, in 2022, that simply did not w- uh, work because both of them, both <laughs> at all, both of them failed. So the answer to this question I would say today is that uh, cash is, I, is not the only asset. As we talked about, things, the situation is changing. The yield increase that I have been foreseeing for the last year and a half, I think has mostly happened. You can get another 30, 40 basis points higher out of the 10 year, but you're almost there. Uh, Therefore, that situation is changing. 60, 40 is slowly coming back to life, Mm. meaning the 40 or the fixed income portion is starting to look attractive. The equity portion, as I said before, does not look attractive. What else can you do? Look at alternative investments. Look at managers who are well-performing. If you're looking at globally diversified real estate, look at those opportunities. And for quite a while, I've been saying that U.S. equities are overvalued and Europe is likely to outperform the United States. And that has been happening as well. And the European recession, if it does happen, is going to be milder than we thought before because natural, again, 
thank, uh, thanks to luck rather than skill, their weather has been much better than expected. Natural gas prices have fallen off because the need for heat has gone down compared with what we feared two months ago. And Europe is doing fine. By the time next winter comes, if the Ukraine war is still going on at that time, hopefully Western Europe will find alternative sources. So the answer to your question is cash is coming back to life. Look at alternative assets. And as I said, globally diversified real estate. Look at uh, a look again on Europe, Chinese side that is well, currently... I'm going to jump in because we're going to we're going to dive into some of the global stuff in the second half of the show. Sure. So I do want to I do want to get a little bit more on that. But I want to want to ask you about one other thing that's been coming up, and that's global liquidity. Andreas talks about that in his latest installment of Steno Signals. Let's have a listen to that clip and we'll talk on the sure. other side. But today I want to give you an update on global liquidity, because it seems as if global liquidity has already bottomed. At least we are now at levels clearly above liquidity levels we saw towards the latter parts of 2022. And the reason is that we have trends ongoing in Asia that counter the trends that are ongoing in the West. So People's Bank of China inject liquidity. The Japanese central banks, central bank is still buying bonds with an arm and a leg to support the yield curve control in Japan. So they're both adding new Chinese yuans and um, Japanese yens on an ongoing basis. And that is a counter effect to the decline in liquidity that we've seen throughout the West uh, over the course of the past six, nine months. Secondly, we see these temporary, almost mechanical effects from um, the U.S. Treasury adding liquidity due to a drawdown of its cash holdings at the Fed due to the debt ceiling. We see a similar effect ongoing in Europe. So European treasuries also empty their cash balances at the European Central Bank. And therefore, we have positive tailwinds from both Europe, U.S., China and Japan at the same time right now. And this is a topic that Andreas has been tracking. You can see that full episode available on our website. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Uh, Sri, we're going to talk about the global central banks in, in just a little bit, but I wanted to focus on one part of what Andreas was talking about, and that was the effects from the debt ceiling situation here in the U.S. How closely are you watching that, and is that a sort of another risk on the radar? Uh, I do not consider that a big risk, and I'll tell you why. And I look, go back, to the comparable event, uh, Maggie, was August of 2011, when Standard & Poor's downgraded the United States, and the United States used to be an unquestioned AAA credit, and it was lowered to AA+, because of all the concerns about the fiscal deficit and so on. That is 
12 years ago that we are talking about that that happened. And I was asked the question then, would that cause bond yields to go up? Would the treasury have to pay a lot more interest to borrow? And my answer to that question was, if that were to happen, the yield on the U.S. Treasury will go down, not go up. And it was shocking to people who heard it. How can you say that a country's credit rating is lowered and then the yield goes down rather than up? The answer to that is, if the United States were Haiti or Argentina or Zimbabwe, that's what would happen when the credit rating is lowered, they would also have to pay a higher interest rate. However, in the United States case, there is no substitute. If the U.S. were to be downgraded or if the U.S. were to default in July, as is suspected, then that translates to an increase in global risk rather mm -hmm. than an increase in the U.S. risk. Same thing that happened in August of 2011. And when there is an increase in global risk, investors flock to U.S. Treasuries. They don't leave the U.S. Treasuries. I know you're going to talk about global developments, Maggie. When we talk about what's happening in Japan, for example, oh, yeah. I'll tell you that can cause U.S. Treasury yields to go up. Yeah. But a default, no. It is probably a two-day or a three-day hiccup. They will get together. They will find some way to patch it up. And life yeah. will go on. A lot of political noise is is how a lot of people are exactly. you know are chalking that up. And I don't think Andreas, to be fair, is worried about it. He's just watching some of the kind of mechanical liquidity issues around some of the you know uh, hoops they have to jump through in order to you know as this political fight uh, takes place. So you know it's something we should watch. But I think there are a lot of people who agree with you on that. But it's just worth saying for everybody because the headlines will heat up. Exactly. You know, maybe at a time when we're also worrying about a lot of these other things. I wanted to ask you a, a really good comment from Jason um, in our chat saying um, this rally has huge retail input. Let's see if they're right this time. Um, you know, it. it Will that affect anything? Does that worry you that retail people are kind of entering back in thinking, okay, hey, we've seen some of these names rally. In fact, I think someone else said with commodities getting hit um, and, there, and uh, you know, other, other asset classes underperforming, it's like, okay, we're back in technology. I mean, we saw some huge names in technology names that everybody said, oh, we're going to see a rotation into value. Are retail, are you, do you worry that some retail investors are getting sucked back in exactly when they shouldn't be? Exactly. That's precisely my fear. And we have seen that in the past, retail money comes in in a big way, and that is usually close to the peak of the market before they come. And when nobody wants to enter it, and as I said, when there is some big issue, severity of a recession or a large institution failing, which causes, again, the Fed to step in, everybody is probably selling stocks at that time because of the severity of the crisis. That turns out to be a very bullish development for equities, which most likely the retail crowd will miss. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a contrary indicator, and that is something I fear, uh, especially because the retail investors, uh, number one, they individually, they are a smaller part of the market, smaller part of their income. And if that they get hit, it also has social and economic consequences, and I would worry about it. Yeah. Uh, 
we when you you said before that even if ultimately 18 months out you see equities performing because we've had the fed step in you don't get that before you get another flush out lower is there is there a level you're looking at that you think the S&P is it going to revisit those lows we saw in October because a lot of people thought that was in the back in the rearview mirror October is not is in the rearview mirror, but to me, it is also ahead. It is in both my mirrors. So in a sense, can you could you revisit it? Yes, you can, depending on how long it takes to get, a, get into a recession. The likelihood of revisiting October, Maggie, would be greater uh, if the recession does not happen soon. Mm. If the unemployment rate remains very low, if the consumer remains very strong, with all of the post-COVID spending by the government still in his or her wallet, still unspent. That says to me that they are going to take a while getting to a recession. And if that's the case, then yes, you do revisit October, but you may not do it overnight. Mm, which is a really important point. Uh, so we're, we're going to continue on, but my takeaway from this first part, when we're focused on everything we learned this week in the U.S., is that uh, the Fed is not nearly done with the inflation fight. A lot of investors got ahead of themselves with that. There is an adjustment that's going to be that that's going to need to happen. Uh, and your recommendation would be for the Fed to be much more aggressive sooner, do more now, so that they they have more options later down the line. Not clear that's going to happen. And if it doesn't, it's going to mean f potentially a more severe recession. And the Fed ultimately having to kind of come to the rescue of everything again. So it may exactly. it may fuel equities, but not in the way that you want it to with major repercussions across the rest of the economy and the bond market. That's an excellent summary, Maggie. That's exactly what I'm trying to convey. Which is which gives us a lot to worry about. We're 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 going to jump in. Uh, this wraps up the so we're coming to the bottom of the hour. So this wraps up um, our sort of focus on the U.S. I do want to talk about some of the global implications because first of all, interestingly, it's where you and a lot of others see opportunity, but also also some very big risks, especially when we're talking about Japan. If you're leaving us now, we hope you don't. If you are, have a fantastic weekend. If you'd like to stay for the extended conversation, just hit that QR code. Come on over and be a part of our community. Um, we've got some great stuff coming up that you're going to want to hear. Somebody mentioned Michael Howell in the comments. He's going to sit down with Raul and dig into liquidity, which is going to be fantastic. That's coming up soon. And we have an interview dropping on Monday that I did with Nancy Davis from Quadratic, which was amazing, talking about some of the hidden risks she sees out there coming up um, along the same lines of some of the concerns that um, Shri just mentioned. So we'll hope you check those out. But if you don't, have a great weekend. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.